Welcome to Three Right Turns, the podcast where I say, please, God, go out and vote. Turn in your mail-in ballots. Fill out those circles in blue or black ink. We're less than a week away now. You got a plan? How are you going to get to the polls? How are you going to turn in your ballot before the cutoff date? Do you have transportation? Do you got postage? Are you mailing it in? Are you dropping it off at the local board of elections office? Have you talked to your friends? Are you going as a group? Have you mentally prepared for the long waits. What about people at your uh, voting precinct trying to intimidate you? Do you know your rights as a voter? Do you know if they turn you away from voting because you lack proper ID or have some kind of quibble with your registration status that you're legally entitled to request and fill out a provisional ballot? Are you prepared to exercise these rights? I mean, you're listening to a political podcast. What the hell are you doing this for if not to actually take part in politics? So this podcast is going to be my final argument to people to get them to go out and vote. I've already taken care of my vote. Uh, I requested early ballot. I got it uh, early in October. Uh, I filled it out. I dropped it off. I refreshed uh, the Board of uh, Elections site for Hamilton County here in Cincinnati until it's been accepted. And as of October 25th, my vote has been accepted and it's ready to be counted. So if you're not in my position, you haven't voted already, and maybe you're waiting to hear an argument for why you should, or maybe you're wanting to hear arguments to make to your friends or family for why they should, well, I'm going to do it. And I want to start by talking about rules lawyers. Man, I hate rules lawyers. I imagine a lot of you know what I'm talking about, because if you've ever played a role playing game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're either nodding vigorously in agreement with me or you're a goddamn rules lawyer yourself. But for those not in the know, what's a rules lawyer? Well, first, I guess I should back up and explain to all the normies listening what a role playing game is. A role playing game is just a game of pretend with some rules to it. You get a small group of people usually, uh, you know, fairly close friends. They're called the party and they sit around the table. One of those is the game master and their job is to describe what all the other players see in here. The players tell the game master what they want to do in response to the things that they see in here. And then the game master uses the rules of the game to decide what happens next. For example, you're in a large cavernous room. It's dimly lit. There are rows of sarcophagi that you can see in the gloom. One of the players says they want to inch forward and explore. The game master informs the group that the room has started to rumble. Skeletal hands are breaking through the lids of their crypts, ending their long slumber. Now the players have to fight these skeletal warriors. It's going to be a tough fight. But with skill, teamwork, ingenuity, maybe a little bit of luck on those dice rolls, the party can prevail and hopefully recover a treasure that these uh, undead zombies have been guarding for God knows how long as their reward. Now, maybe one of those players is an elf and they can see 10 meters further into the gloom to help his party win the initiative. Maybe one of those players is a cleric and she can call on her faith in the gods to ward the party against the undead, making their attacks against these skeletons stronger, more effective. Maybe one of them is a rogue and they can blend into the shadows, flanking the skeletons, divide their numbers and attack them where they're most vulnerable. And maybe one of them is a warrior and he can like twin attack and each of his attacks is a great cleave and that splits the skeletons right in two. And when he does that, it triggers a power attack where he can spin to the next skeleton in melee range and see he's also drank this special potion that increases his melee attacks like plus five and allows him to do an additional attack on each successful attack. And man, he's just going to clear those skeletons out. No sweat. Just step back and watch him work. And the game master says, no, wait just one damn minute. You can't do that. You can only drink that, that potion once a day. And you did that two rooms ago. And also it only allows one additional attack. You can't chain those attacks infinitely. Then, the warrior and the game master get into a 30 minute argument, pulling out rule books and arguing about whether this is allowed or whether it's horseshit. And the rest of the players are bored. They're not having fun. 
And the skeletons are, I, I don't know, they're just standing there kind of looking at each other, shrugging their shoulders, wondering what the hell has been going on for the last 30 minutes. You know, the living, what can you do? Well, I've just described a situation where a rules lawyer has ruined everybody's fun. Maybe you can understand why I hate them. Maybe you can't. You know, what's wrong with using every bit of the rules to win a game? Isn't the point of a game to win? Shouldn't winning more be good? Well, no, because the point of any game that's not played professionally for money or acclaim is to have fun. In fact, in the first chapter of any role-playing game system I've ever read or played, hell, sometimes even in the forward to the game itself, there's a note from the designers of the game saying, the point of all of this is to have fun. If any of these rules can be interpreted in an unfun or unfair way, feel free to change or even ignore them. Because the whole point of the game is to have a good time and to have fun with your friends. Sitting around arguing about rules isn't fun for most people. Having an overpowered player that carries the rest of their party on their backs and dominates the action and all the gaming isn't fun. Having a bloodthirsty game master that actively looks for ways to fuck over, rob, and kill the other players isn't fun. And if you're playing that way, then you're violating the most important rule that there is because you're spending a ton of time and effort and you're not having fun. It's become clear to me in the past 20 years that we have a minority political party rules lawing their way to victory after victory while ignoring the most important rule of the game. In the 2000 presidential election, George W. Bush won that election despite having 500,000 fewer people supporting him than his opponent, Al Gore. But because of the electoral college system we use to elect a president, the entire election came down to some 500 disputed ballots in Florida. If I say the words hanging Chad and your eyeball starts to twitch, it's probably because you're a Democrat over the age of 40. And the kicker is we never even got down to figuring out those 500 disputed ballots because the Supreme Court came in and said, you know what? Stop counting. We're just going to accept the result of Bush winning the election because fuck it. We need a president and this has been going on for weeks. What are you going to do? Now, back then, as I've revealed before, I wanted Bush to win. And while I could concede that the other side could be frustrated and annoyed that they lost a close contest, but the rules say that the person with the most electoral college votes gets to be president. And yeah, Florida was a statistical coin toss. You know, sometimes the coin's going to land heads, sometimes going to land tails. That's the rules of the game. And you just lost the coin flip. That's that. And 20 years ago, you know, I was pretty circumspect about it. Sure, I'd have hated to have been a Gore supporter, just like you hate to be a sports fan that loses a game by a, a last-minute score by an opponent uh, or a last-minute uh, bad call by a referee. You know, I used to be a pretty big football fan. I've seen games literally won and lost on a coin toss. What are you going to do? It's the rules. I mean, it's not like that kind of thing happens all the time. In 2000, only three other times in U.S. history had a president lost a vote and won the Electoral College. The last time it happened was over 100 years ago. And there were plenty of good reasons to support the Electoral College. You know, small states matter. Big states shouldn't just be able to bully those smaller states. The Founding Fathers were wise to build in safeguards against the most populous states. I don't know, forcing them to take all their garbage or making them accept the rest of the country's criminals, turning them into some kind of penal state, whatever nightmare scenario that might happen if, say, New York, California, Texas just ruled the rest of us like kings. You know, it's the rules. They put them in place. Them's the breaks. A hundred years from now, maybe the Democrats are going to win the Electoral College and lose the popular vote. Then my grandkids will be the ones that are all pissed off, right? Then it happened again 16 years later. Donald Trump won the Electoral College despite three million more people choosing Hillary Clinton for president. He won 55.5% of the Electoral College. He won 46% of the popular vote. It's the rules. Them's the breaks. But it might be a fair question to ask. What is the purpose of these rules? What is the point of democracy? What is the point of the United States Constitution? Fortunately, like the role-playing game designers we talked about before, 
The founders left a preface to their rules document on how we were supposed to run this country. You know, the preamble to the Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States. The point of this whole thing is that we, the people, come together and decide how to govern ourselves. How do we decide to do that? Whoever has the most votes. Yes, there are rules put in to protect the rights of individuals and to protect the state's rights. The majority should never be able to just trample the rights of an individual. But the legitimacy of our government derives from the fact that there are more of us who want this country to be a certain way than there are those against it. And those on the more side of that column get to set the agendas and make rules. But we are all collectively locked in an argument with rules lawyers in this country. There are less of them than there are of thus, and they are ruining our game. The Electoral College is a rule, but there are all kinds of rules. Like, for example, which territories should become states? And if we follow those rules and say Puerto Rico gets to become a state, well, why shouldn't they? If more people want Puerto Rico to be a state than are against it, well, who gets to win that argument? If one side has only won one popular vote in the last 32 years, and yet they have a six to three supermajority on the Supreme Court, have we lost the point of democracy? And if we use legitimate constitutional means to expand the court to more accurately reflect the attitudes and will of the people, is that cheating? If there's 700,000 people that live in Washington, D.C., and they have no senator to represent them, and there's 600,000 people living in Wyoming, and they have two? Is that cheating? What if we wanted to make the District of Columbia a state? Give them two senators. Is that cheating? Well, what's the point of this game? What about gerrymandering? The rules say the majority party gets to make their district maps. What if they make them so despite being a minority of the people, they win a majority of the state and local elections and a disproportionate number of the national elections? What if one side closes down polling locations, causing people to have to stand in line for eight hours in the blazing sun or the freezing rain in the middle of a pandemic, all in an effort to keep people from voting? The states get to choose how many voting places they open and fund. That's the rules. But what is the point of this game? I'm going to be doing deep dives into all these issues in the three right turns ahead. But right now, I just want to ask you, before we get into the weeds, what is the point of this game? What is the point of democracy? Why are we doing this? What does it mean for a government to rule by the consent and with the consent of the people? And if someone is rules lawyering and ruining our good time in this country and the majority of the people want it to stop, what can we do? Well, a good place to start is by voting and supporting parties that are pro-democracy. Right now, the Democratic Party is the one supporting democracy. And if you think there's an objectively right side to the rules arguments I put forth above, the Democrats are almost always on the right side. You'll note that I don't say always. Democrats are just as capable of rat fuckery as Republicans. In fact, Democrats have been at the center of many historical incidents of voter fucking and electoral rules lawyering and corruption. But it's 2020, and that's not the case now. 20 years from now, maybe the Democrats are the ones trying to overreach and subvert the will of the people. But this election is not one of those times. So, like I said, I'm going to make the closing arguments for why you should support Joe Biden in his run for president of these United States. If you want to support Trump, this podcast isn't aimed at you. I don't think I could reach you with less than a week to go if I haven't reached you already. Maybe next election cycle, you know, best of luck out there. And I'm not talking to undecided voters, too. I know you're out there. I know you exist. You're valid. But again, if these last four years haven't convinced you that Joe Biden's better than Trump, I can't reach you in six days. It's just not possible. So who am I talking to? I'm talking in this podcast to three types of people. And we need all of you. If we're going to shut up these goddamn rules lawyers this round. And maybe afterwards, if we work hard enough, we can shut them down for good. 
So the first up is everyone who wants to vote third party. Hey, I get it. I used to love voting third party, especially when I was living in a politically safe state like Indiana. I could vote for whatever libertarian candidate was running that year and feel real good about it. The second choice, the Republican president, eh, he's going to win handily anyway. And if I can get the libertarians, they'll whatever it was, three percent of the popular vote, whatever, so they could access those matching presidential campaign funds and access to the presidential debates and all the stuff they talk about being so important. Well, why not? Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I? This two party system is bullshit. It's corrupt. I'm not going to be stuck picking the lesser of two evils. If people got mad at Bush, you know, hey, I didn't vote for him. I voted for um Michael Badnerick, I I think that year. And, you know, it's fine. I was following the rules. It's my right to do so. But unfortunately, what I discovered is that I suffered from an incomplete understanding of the rules. You see, the rules of basketball state that if you step out of bounds, the game stops and you turn over the basketball to the other team. But there's nothing physically stopping you from stepping out of bounds. There isn't like a force field right there at the edge of the court or anything. Hell, you can get the ball. You can step out of bounds. You can take a shot. You can sink that sucker. Swish. But not only won't it count, you just turn control over the game to the other team. But you know you can do it. Nobody's going to stop you. I argue for this point extensively on Lucky 3 Right Turns 13. Don't blame me. I vote Al. And I encourage you to go listen to that if you're kind of wishy-washy on this whole third-party thing. But in America, we have a two-party system because of the rules that we use to elect the president, not in spite of them. There isn't a correct way to play this game where you can get third parties. History, game theory, mathematics, and actual practice points to the fact that if in your wildest dream, your third party of choice ever gained mainstream acceptance and won an election, we would not then have three parties to choose from forevermore. No. One of those parties would get eliminated, probably in the next two elections, shockingly quickly, never to be seen again. And great, you think. We got rid of the Republicans in favor of the Libertarians. That's progress for this country. Or you might say, great, we got rid of those corrupt corporate Democrats and we have the Green Party now. That's progress for the country. But you haven't made real change in the American people. This new party, whether it be Green or Libertarian, would have to make concessions to disaffected Republican or Democratic voters, whichever the case may be, or they're going to swiftly lose their power. And again, just a few election cycles. The Libertarians would become watered-down Republicans, or the Greens would become watered-down Democrats. And you can vote Green or Libertarian or whatever candidates you want. You can do that. I mean, fuck it. Write in... Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Vermin Supreme or whoever you want. Just like you can step out of bounds and shoot three pointers and sink those suckers. Nothing but net. It's not going to count. Nobody's going to stop you, but you're not playing the game. In fact, if I'm being honest, you're kind of being a bit of a rules lawyer. You want to argue that these rules don't apply to you, that you're voting your conscience, that you're supporting third parties. Whatever your argument is, It's just not going to add up. Now, we could change the rules so that you could have viable third parties that would be more accurate, a reflection of the will of the people. We can, in effect, make shooting those baskets out of bounds count if we change the rules. But we have to change the rules. I myself championed the adoption of ranked choice voting. If we had ranked choice voting, well, then you could vote for Howie Hawkins as your first choice and Joe Biden as your second choice. And if Howie Hawkins, which, if you didn't know, is the current Green Party candidate, co-founder of the Green Party, in fact. If Howie wins the vote, then, hey, you know what? Howie wins the vote. Good for you. Way to go, Green Party. But if he doesn't, your vote's still going to keep Donald Trump from the office because your secondary vote goes to Joe Biden. The way our elections work right now, voting for Howie Hawkins will not lead to him winning anything, but in fact has a very high chance of electing Donald Trump to another term as a minority president, in which case, fuck you, Green Party. And again, you can vote for whomever you want, but that doesn't mean it's going to do you any good. And it certainly doesn't mean that that action won't lead to greater harm. 
Again, if you think this sucks, I agree. We should absolutely be pushing for things like ranked choice voting and reform. And I encourage you to do so. Check out the fine folks at fairvote.org, which are working on this right now. Throw them some cash. Throw them some support. They've gotten a lot of ranked choice ballot reform at the state and federal level. In fact, if you're tempted to say, you know what, Aaron, this sounds like a pipe dream. For the first time ever in the state of Maine, they're going to be using ranked choice voting to elect the president of the United States. Maine is the only state in the union where you can vote for the Green Party or whoever the fuck the libertarians are putting up this year and be confident that not only are you not voting for the lesser of two evils, but that your vote will not actually result in electing the greatest of two evils. And Maine shows us that we can do this everywhere and we will. But voting third party every four years, it's not going to do anything. You're just shooting baskets while standing out of bounds. You can do it. Nobody's going to stop you, but it's not going to count. And I guess I'd be more understanding of these arguments, except like I said, we already have Maine showing us the way to actually get this done. And if you're passionate about not voting for the lesser of two evils, you got to get over to fairvote.org and get these people your support so that you can do that in an ethical way. They've shown how you can get what you want, which is not voting for the lesser of two evils. And you can do it in an ethical, moral and actually effective way. Is it going to be easy? No. Getting Maine uh, set up for ranked choice voting has taken the work of years and gone through a bunch of court challenges and has cost a lot of money and cost a lot of people's time to organize. But it will actually work. Unlike voting for third parties, it, it just doesn't. It just doesn't work. And I know it's a lot to process because, again, damn, I love voting for third parties. But I really urge you to check out Three Right Turns 13 because if there's a defeater to this argument against third parties that I lay out in this episode and I kind of briefly laid out in this one, I've literally never heard it. And I've been looking for one going on 10 years. Fairvote.org is the way to go. Third parties is not. Okay. Next group I'm going to address is everyone in battleground states that wants to sit this election out. You're not even going to vote third party. You're just dropping out of the whole process. And if you live in Michigan, Nevada, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, Iowa, Texas, my home state of Ohio. I'm talking directly to you now. Why aren't you voting? Don't you hear the rules lawyers out there fucking up our democracy? And your response is going to just pick up your dice bag and let them win? You're going to let them ruin this when you could kick them out of the group and we can keep playing the game the right way? You know, the whole point of it, the we the people thing and start having fun again. Isn't that what you'd rather do? And again, maybe you like the third party guys. Maybe it's because you don't want to support the lesser of two evils. But I ask why there's this philosophic thought exercise. I might even have talked about it on the podcast before, but in a trolley problem, you're presented a situation. You're at the junction of a trolley track on one track. There's a person I don't know why, but they're just tied up there in the track. They're helpless. If a trolley goes down that way, they're going to get splatted on the other track. There are five people again. Who does this? Who puts five people on the track? I don't know, but they're stuck on the track and they're surely going to die if the trolley goes down that path and you stand at the junction switch. You can throw that thing and decide what the next trolley is going to go down the path that kills one person or the path that kills five. Which track do you choose? Or do you choose not to touch the lever and not pull it either way? Maybe you decide that, hey, letting the trolley do what the trolley is going to do washes yourself of any moral responsibility for either the one person getting killed or the five person. Because, you know, you didn't do anything. You didn't tie the people up on the track. You didn't throw the switch. Why the hell should it be your fault? Your responsibility. You didn't choose one or five people to die. You didn't make a choice at all. And it's a pretty interesting moral problem. What you would do in that situation says a lot about yourself, how you feel about moral culpability. And you could probably have a lot of fun debating the meta ethics of it over beers for hours. It sounds like a real hoot. But unfortunately, real life is full of these kind of trolley problems. And the 2020 election of Joe Biden versus Donald Trump is one such trolley problem because Donald Trump is that trolley 
that's going to kill five people. He is that choice of track. And if you live in a battleground state, you live in one of the relatively small number of states that gets to decide this issue for the rest of us. And I'm not saying Joe Biden is good. You know, he's the trolley that's going to kill a person. That's a shame. I don't want that person to die. And we need to push those trolley deaths down to zero. But we're not being presented with an option to divert the trolley down a track that kills nobody. These are the choices we got. And one person is empirically better dying than five. I just think it's a valuable skill in life to be able to choose the lesser of two evils. Like I should, I can do that all day. Do you want a shit sandwich or do you want a mayonnaise sandwich? Ah, oh, mayonnaise sandwich is gross, but you know, it's better than a shit sandwich. Do you want to get shot by a 22 or do you want to get shot by a 45? Oof, getting shot sucks, but I guess I'll take the 22, you know? Now it's a fair question to ask if we just keep voting for the lesser of two evils, well, how are we ever going to get to not evil choices? And trust me, we're going to be talking about that plenty in the months to come. But the simple answer is you got to work within the system. You got to hold your elected officials accountable. You got to push them in the direction you want them to go. You got to push them left in this case. You got to push them to be more progressive. That's the argument I'm making here. How do you do that? How do you push candidates to the left? Lots of ways. You primary them and you go vote in primaries. Young people showing up and participating in the primary process would be such a huge boon to this country. And they just didn't this year, unfortunately, which is why we've got Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And right now, everybody's saying, oh, yeah, the young people, very liberal, very progressive. Everybody agrees that they're open to things like socialized health care and housing and raising taxes and all kinds of things that might uh, move this country towards a better direction. But the other thing about young people is. They just don't vote. They don't vote nearly as reliably as older folks and conservative folks. Now, if you show up and vote again, not just for the general elections, when the choices have been made for you already, but during those primaries and and not just the primaries, by the way, you got to show up for the off year elections, the state and local elections. If we can do that, if we can establish that there is a large politically motivated and reliable block of voters that will demand the most progressive candidate they get, but still back the candidate that comes out of that process will start to turn the tide. They'll start to pay attention and you'll start to get not just those less evil candidates, but candidates that are good, actually. And if we elect these less evil candidates that are pro democracy, They'll be open to ideas like ranked choice voting, like we've talked about. You know, elections aren't the end all be all. That's another argument. Oh, this electoral stuff is just a distraction from the real work we should be doing. And they don't replace getting involved in your local community. They don't replace talking to your friends and family. They don't replace donating to organizations and politicians that are trying to help out. They don't replace things that you can do at grassroots levels to legalize drugs, work to restore the voting rights of felons who've paid their debts to society. They get things like ranked choice voting on your local and state ballots. Again, fairvote.org. But let's be real. Voting doesn't take any time at all. It's not like it's distracting you from all these other important things you got to do. I had just under 50 candidates and propositions to evaluate this election. And it took me about three hours to work my way through each one, decide which one I want to support, fill out my ballot. And if I have to do that, let's say an average of twice a year, that's that's high, but let's say the worst twice a year. That's nothing. I know some of you fuckers are out there spending 10 times that on your fantasy football draft, right? And I know some of you people are out there spending 10 times that grinding for some sword in an MMO that's going to be 0.25% better than the one you got. I know some of you people spend that much time each week on Twitter, keeping up with the Kardashians or whatever. So go vote. You'll still have plenty of time left over for doing the other stuff we need to do to make democracy work, community organizing, all that kind of stuff. But Aaron, I don't know about the issues and the candidates. There are just so many. It's all so confusing. Well, that's why we got sites like vote411.org where you can get your individual ballot printed out and you can see all the candidates and you can see what they say and you can see their political affiliations, their endorsements or ballotpedia.org. Or maybe, and this is just a suggestion, look up a person by name, just put in their name and their location into Google. Because some of these races, I got to admit, they're tricky. 
On our ballots here in Cincinnati, they don't reveal the political affiliations of some candidates like judges, which is stupid because there's certainly these judges politically affiliated and motivated. So if I'm presented a, a choice between Mary Sue and Steve Swanson on my ballot, how am I going to know which of those judges is for me? You just look them up. You know, you go to Ballotpedia, you go to vote411.org. Some of them don't, uh, for some of the minor races, they don't bother to respond to those sites. So what do you do? You got to look them up. Google Mary Sue, Ohio Supreme Court, or Steve Swanson, Cincinnati Juvenile Court. Oh, what's this? Their endorsement page? Hmm. Mary's endorsed by the local fraternal order of police, three right to life organizations, the Chamber of Commerce, stuff like that. But then over here, Steve Swanson is endorsed by local unions and teachers organizations and criminal justice reformers. Hmm. I wonder which of these people I want sitting on the bench. And unfortunately, that's the trick. You just keep doing that for each race that you need to know about until you decided each candidate an issue. Again, for a fraction of the time the average person spends watching TV each week, you can make an informed choice on who will represent you on the local, state, or national stage. Hell, if you don't want to do that and you just want to vote like straight ticket Democrat, there are people at the polling places that will be only too happy to provide you a list of those names. There's just no excuse not to get out there and vote. And if you keep doing that until you've decided for each candidate an issue, and again, it's going to take some time. It's going to take an hour or two. But for a fraction of the time the average American spends watching TV each week, you can make an informed choice on who will represent you on that local, state, and national stage. But Aaron, Joe Biden, he's center right. He's status quo. Status quo is not going to get the job done. And if he gets in the office, people just go back to sleep and things will just keep getting worse and worse. And, you know, I hear that a lot. And I used to be sympathetic to that argument. But from my experience, I just don't think that's how this works. Let's think about this. We had eight years of Bush and people got sick of the lies, the corruption, the pandering to the rich. He was very unpopular. So they voted in Obama, who's all about hope and change. And yes, we can. Right. But did Obama solve all of our problems? Of course not. And it's not just because Obama was kind of center right himself. You know, he had obstructionist Senate and Congress, and there's a lot of things stacked against him. But the point is, he didn't deliver on all those promises. But those disappointments with Obama led to the campaign of Bernie Sanders. I'd never seen a candidate like Bernie Sanders before. Had, had any of you? And Bernie Sanders' relative success with his very progressive platform in 2016 led to Democrats having to move their platform significantly left because people liked what they heard. It made sense. Do you remember Hillary calling universal health care a pipe dream back in 2015? Do you remember any of the Democratic candidates in the primary saying that in 2020? Any one of them that got more than like 1% of the electorate anyway? No, because Bernie changed the game. He shifted that Overton window way to the left. And yeah, Clinton won the nomination. And then one of a dozen small things didn't go her way in the run up to the election. And she lost by the narrowest of margins. Just a few tens of thousands of people in two or three states didn't go our way. And now we're stuck with this Trump nightmare that we've lived through for the last four years. Now, Bernie came back in 2020, tried running again. You'd think he'd do a lot better than in 2016. But unfortunately, he did worse. He did way worse, actually, because it turns out a lot of people on the left and in the center were scared to hell of another Trump term. So they went with someone they thought was a surefire bet to beat them, the one that they thought would be the best at defeating him. And you know, it appears to be working. By any measure, Joe has a significant lead over where Hillary was at this point in 2016. But assuming that Biden wins, is he going to solve all of our problems? No. You know, at, at best, we're going to get half of what we need on health care. We're going to get half of what we need on climate change, probably some election reform and security. Those are good things. But there's still going to be millions of people with inadequate health care. We're still going to be way behind where we should be on climate change. Millions of Americans will continue to struggle and provide for their families and get proper education. People are likely going to be disappointed because we're going to be getting half measures when we should be going all in. 
But what will that disappointment in Biden be able to accomplish? What progressive candidate will be the next to step forward with bold ideas to push the country further left? This is how we win. And, you know, maybe Biden will be even better than that. You know, he's running the most progressive platform that we've ever seen. He's working hand in hand with people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Uh, If we win the Senate back, Bernie Sanders is going to be heading up one of the uh, Senate subcommittees on health. And won't that be fun for the insurance companies to deal with? The whole point of three right turns is to convince people that we win long term by focusing on long term objectives. We got to use the Overton window to create political possibilities. We have to elect candidates that will create a political climate possible to achieve those possibilities. You want ranked choice voting? We've been talking about that a lot this episode, right? Which party is going to realistically hear this issue out? Do you think Maine is Republican state? Fuck no. It's got a Democratic governor. Its house is split 87 to 56 in the Democrats favor. Maine Senate is controlled by Democrats with a 21-14 split. You think ranked choice voting is going to fly in Alabama or Mississippi? No, because there's one party in this country that's currently pushing to have more people be able to vote, more people to have their voices heard, to make voting easier and more universal. And it's the Democrats. And you got another party trying to disenfranchise people, purge voter registrations, make it harder to vote. Some people like to say that, well, if voting was as powerful as people say, it would be illegal. Well, God damn it. They're trying to make it illegal for people to vote. That's the proof. And that party is the Republicans. Now, you might be forgiven within the last several minutes of me going on and on about this that I think Joe Biden is a bad candidate. But I don't think that's actually the case. And I would like now to make the progressive case for Joe Biden, because Joe Biden is going to follow the advice of scientists and doctors when dealing with pandemics like the COVID-19 one that we're currently suffering through. And we're going to suffer through. We're in the middle of a second wave. Or is it the fucking third wave now? I've lost track. And you know how I feel about following consensus expert opinion around here. It's something we got to do. Joe Biden's going to do it. Not only that, Joe Biden's going to get us a public health insurance option. So to anyone who wants to can get covered under Medicare, Medicare, as I argued in three right turns, eight, how I stopped worrying and learned to love the burn is a popular, well-run program that will free millions of people from the worry of crushing medical debt and being forced to neglect their health. Joe Biden will not encourage gun toting extremists to get out there and beat up or intimidate protesters or worse. He's not going to tell violent racist extremists to just stand by, get ready for action. Joe Biden's going to bring our first woman vice president into office, inspiring millions of women and people of color. Joe Biden supports curbing qualified immunity for police officers and expanding federal oversight of police departments. Joe Biden will decriminalize marijuana and expunge prior convictions for nonviolent offenders. Joe Biden's not going to send federal goons into your city uninvited, driving around in unmarked vehicles to snatch protesters off the street. Biden supports raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. He proposes quadrupling federal spending on housing assistance, tripling spending on low income K through 12 schools. He wants to double Pell Grants. That's free money for college kids and community college. He wants to make that free. Joe Biden's going to nominate well-qualified judges that will protect our citizens' rights, chief among them what to do with their bodies. He won't appoint judges that will destroy any progressive legislation that comes across their bench because they didn't invent socialized health care back in 1789. By the way, you know, liberal justice Stephen Breyer, he's 82 years old. That's pretty old. Is he going to make it another four years? I don't know. Do you want a seven justice, super conservative, super majority on the Supreme Court? Do you want to start the death watch and feel sick at your stomach when you read on Twitter that he's headed to the hospital like we've been doing with Ginsburg these last four years? Joe Biden will get us back into the Paris Accords. That's our best bet currently for curbing the effects of global climate change, working with the entire world. He'll support portions of the Green New Deal. Not as good as the Green New Deal itself. But he's going to use government funds and grants to encourage building out green technologies and infrastructure. And that's a big deal. Joe Biden's not going to antagonize our international allies. He's going to abide by treaties and agreements that we make internationally. People will start taking our words seriously. And that's going to be crucial for getting progress done on climate change. And also, Joe Biden, and this might be the most important thing of all, he's a normal human being who's loved and who has lost. 
He's a stutterer who's overcame that impediment to become a leading senator and a vice president. Back in 1972, he lost his wife and infant daughter just a week before Christmas to a car accident in the middle of his first Senate run. Can you imagine that? A week before Christmas? Decades later, Joe lost his son Bo to cancer after he got him safely returned from serving his country overseas. Can you imagine the loss this man has dealt with? Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, for that matter, when it's their time to leave office, they're going to leave office peacefully and without question and will help the next person out in the transition of power. And these are just a few of the significant differences between Joe Biden and Donald Trump regarding their actual stances on actual issues and in terms of their morality and their humanity. Now, can we vote for Joe Biden and just go back to business as as usual and ignore politics? No. But, you know, I just don't buy the argument that once we get a sense of normalcy back in this country, that people are going to go back to sleep. You know, millions of people have started paying attention to politics for the first time. We're on track to have the biggest turnout for this election that we've had in 100 years. I don't think that's going to stop. People's attitudes on race and healthcare they've undergone big and likely permanent changes these past four years. And if the young people start voting, watch out. And you know what? There's some good news on that front. The youth vote in terms of early voting data is way, way up from where it was in 2016 and even 2018. And it remains to be seen whether that early voting data is going to reflect overall trends. It's possible that young people are just, you know, more into early voting and there's going to be proportionally less of them voting on the actual election day. But again, there are signs of hope. For example, CNN just this week in a poll showed that among registered voters aged 18 to 34, 51% say they're extremely or very enthusiastic to vote in 2020. That number is just 30% in 2016. Maybe you're suffering from the other problem if you're living in a battleground state not voting. Maybe you're just complacent. Maybe you've been hearing in the last few weeks that Biden's up 10, 11%. Hell, some polls show him up 16% nationally. That's amazing. We're just going to cakewalk into this thing. But that's not how America works, remember? That's why we have these battleground states in the first place. The actual standing of the race is Biden's up about 5% in the tipping point state of Pennsylvania. And if he loses that, he's up by about one to three points in the next few states he'd need to win the Electoral College. And all these polls, they have about a 3% margin of error. So if the polls tighten a point or two, and they might... They've been kind of slowly tightening by fractional points in the last few weeks, getting closer and closer. He was up by almost 11%. Now it's just over nine. If they continue to do so, we're going to be right back in that danger zone where even if Biden wins in these key states, it could be a close enough race that Trump could plausibly declare early victory. He could deploy armies of lawyers to battleground states, tie up the results in court for weeks, work the public opinion, make things seem hopeless and inevitable. And with his newly minted 6-3 conservative Supreme Court, any election race that ends up before the highest court in the land is almost certainly going to rule in his favor. And they might not even have to get their hands dirty because Trump has appointed hundreds of far-right judges in district and circuit courts that might rule in his favor. And all the court has to do is just let it happen. And hell, he could win these races legitimately because they're that fucking close. So please, please just go out and vote. This country can't afford another four years of Trump. And the planet can't afford another four years of just inaction on climate change. We're really, really getting into the too close to avert catastrophe time here. The only way to prevent dirty tricks and disenfranchisement leading to a race that's too close to call is to show up and vote and just win by overwhelming margins. It's our best. It's our best hope. And here, finally, is where I get to the last group that I want to address. I'm now talking to the rest of America, those of you who live in solidly red or solidly blue states. And hey, again, I remember what it's like to live in Indiana, where every year I could count on the candidate from the favored party, in my case, Republicans. They're going to win by double digits every single year. Hell, I think I made it till I I was in my 30s before I even saw a presidential campaign in my state because we were just a non-factor. But even if that's just the case, 
The president's not the only person on the ticket. We know this. I've been talking about this for months now. It's about the down ballot. Your senators, who, by the way, are pretty much immune from gerrymandering because of the way they're elected. Your state house and Senate races, your mayor, your judges, your prosecutors, your school board, your city council. All those things are on the ballot. All those things you have a say in. All those things you should have a say in. Because, again, that's the whole point of the game. But this year... It's just super important to make sure you vote on that top part of the ticket. Al Gore lost a 2000 election despite winning the popular vote by a half million people. Hillary Clinton lost a 2016 election despite winning the popular vote by three million people. And I know the popular vote doesn't matter, right? That's what the rules say. But it also kind of does, right? Rhetorically, in terms of a mandate, in terms of repudiating just a horrible person, Donald Trump. Imagine if that popular vote margin was 6 million in our favor or 12 million or 20 million. That's possible. If we come down to another 2000 scenario where we have disputed elections across several states and who is going to win comes down to organization, enthusiasm, outrage. Wouldn't you rather have your candidate be up 12 million votes When these things are decided, wouldn't you rather have that to highlight what a sham these rules are when the rules lawyers start howling about this process is all legal and it's all fair? Even if that vote doesn't technically matter, don't you want to cast it anyway just to spite this man in this system? Because we're going to need to run up the score. We're going to need to make this thing beyond any doubt because of the rules lawyering that the Republicans have already been doing all year. They've been dismantling the postal system in a year where mail-in votes are all important. We've talked about that. They've secured legal victories even in the past week or so uh, where votes that are postmarked by Election Day might not be counted if they're received afterwards. And there's a good chance that's going to happen because, again, the dismantling the Postal Service. They've gerrymandered the hell out of their districts. They've closed hundreds, if not thousands, of polling locations. They've deployed fake ballot return boxes. Trump has been screaming that our elections are rigged since 2015, and he's not let up. No result that shows him losing is ever going to be seen as legitimate by him. So we just can't let it be close. The battleground states, they got the heaviest lifting to do because that's the actual thing that matters. But everybody else, our job is to run up that score. We want to run up that score. We want to make sure that everyone knows just how much we, the people, prefer Joe Biden to another four years of Donald Trump's presidency. Now, let's talk for the sake of argument about what happens if the worst comes to pass. If Biden has prevailed with a narrow electoral college victory and probably a massive popular support victory and Trump just refuses to leave office or perhaps Trump or his surrogates try to prematurely declare victory before all the votes have been counted. What can we as the American people do? Well, there's a site ChooseDemocracy.us, and they have a list of 10 things that we can do as citizens to prepare for that eventuality. The first thing is we shouldn't expect results on election night. I know that's kind of what we sort of expect. It's it's kind of not been the norm in the last few decades. But usually, you know, you watch the election. It gets late at night. Some person concedes and you didn't go cry on your pillow or you pop the champagne. And, you know, we have a new president. Life goes on. Unless we have one of those incredible one side of blowouts that we're kind of hoping for and say Biden convincingly wins Florida or P- and Pennsylvania, maybe even Texas early on the election night, unless something like that happens. And that's pretty unlikely, pretty unlikely winning, winning Florida and Texas uh, on the same night. It's going to take days. It's going to take weeks to sort this thing out. We should expect that Trump and his Republican operatives are going to be making outlandish claims. We have to, be careful when what we're reading in our news and what we're sharing on Twitter and Facebook. We got to make sure that that stuff is accurate, that we're not spreading around rumors. We don't want to spread around information unless we can personally verify. We should always be doing that. But it's going to be especially important in light of this election. Regardless of what is being said, our message should be consistent and clear. All votes must be counted. That's the point of the game. Remember? When the rules lawyers try to make it about something else, the message is all votes have to be counted. If the government stops counting, second thing we can do, if someone declares a winner who did not receive the most votes, 
If the government stops counting votes or a person tries to stay in power that didn't win the election, we have to call it what it is. We have to call it a coup. We cannot shy away from using strong language. We cannot be afraid to alienate people. Again, this isn't to be used willy nilly. It's possible Trump wins legitimate election, but if the votes aren't counted, if there's a winner declared despite not having the most votes or if they try to remain in power after losing, we have to be loud. We have to get out there. We have to call it a coup. Third thing is to know that coups can and have been shut down by regular folks, just like you and me. It's happened a ton in the last century. Coups are very hard to orchestrate. They require a quick seizure of multiple levels of institutions. And, you know, our federal system, all that stuff is kind of firewall from each other. There's going to be violations of norms. It's going to make people uh, feel uncomfortable. And our role as a citizen is vital because the time right after a coup is attempted, that's a critical period of time. All the institutions have to decide who to listen to in this case. And there's a lot of times where that's not going to be very clear. We need to make sure that, again, what's the point of this game? We the people. We the people are the ones that they need to be listening to. Four, we have to be ready to act quickly. And we got to be ready to act not by ourselves. The good news is this site, Choose Democracy, uh, says that we're ahead of the game in this regard because most coups happen in secret. Trump being the fantastic guy he is, has been very loud about advertising his desire to not accept any results that he finds uh, unpalatable, which means essentially any result that shows that he's out of the election. So we're not going to be surprised. We have that in our advantage. But what I'm asking everyone listening to this podcast to do is to talk to at least five people in this next week, people you trust, your friends, your family. Ask them to commit to going to the streets with you in the event of a coup. And if you know cops, civil servants, politicians, journalists, it's even more important for you to ask them what they would do to not comply with a coup. Five, focus on widely shared democratic values, not on individuals. If we have to get out in the streets, carry American flags, focus on language that reflects choosing democracy, not rejecting Trump, because it's not about him. It's about we, the people. We don't want to alienate anyone. We want anyone that loves and supports the concept of democracy itself and self-rule. We want all those people out in the streets with us. And we do that by choosing symbols and slogans that unite and not divide. Six, we got to convince our friends and family to not freeze or go along with the flow. And that all important early time period, right after the coup attempt has begun, people are going to be tempted to freeze. Those institutions are going to be looking to see which way to go. And that period of uncertainty and doubt is how the coups succeed. If even a small number of people go along with it, others will begin to see the result as inevitable. And research on preventing coups, Choose Democracy found that there's a common theme. People stop doing what the coup plotters tell them to do. And there's ways we can do that. We can call a nationwide strike. Shopkeepers can close their their, their shops down. Uh, people can flood into the streets. Podcasters might stop casting their pod. Or hell, maybe they might have to start live casting from the streets. Either way, coups are not the time to stand around watching and waiting for somebody to figure things out. They're not a time to look for a return to getting around to your normal daily routines. No matter who you are or where you are, you can be a part of supporting democracy. Seven, commit to actions that represent the rule of law, stability, and nonviolence. Again, stopping a coup is depending on getting a lot of people mobilized and then winning over the people in the center to our side. It's a fight for legitimacy. There's a lot of people, I'm guessing 40% or so, that's going to already have their mind made up to go all in for Trump. And there's about 40% that feel the opposite way. And we got to play for that 20% that's in the middle. We got to convince them that we represent stability. The people attempting to coup represent hostility to democracy. And we can lose that chance if we dehumanize potential defectors to our side. If we assume some agencies like the police or the military aren't going to help us, or if we create chaos out there on the streets, the side that resorts to violence tends to lose. And there's going to be violence on both sides. There always is. We've seen that in this, these, these black lives matter protests, but we need to continue to keep our side of the street as clean and democracy focused as possible. We have to refuse calls to violence. Eight, 
Gotta accept the fact that a coup can happen here in these United States. We're not magically immune. And I think the last four years have shown us that our institutions, our democratic norms, they're not as strong as we might have thought. They're not as concrete and tangible as we would hope. Nine, center yourself. Be calm. Don't give in to fear. I know this is scary shit that we're talking about, but I'm not trying to fear monger here. I'm expecting a free and fair election. I really am. But we still want to be prepared. We want to double check the news and rumors we're hearing in the days leading up and the day of and the days after the election. We don't want to catastrophize and engage in hyperbole. Remember to breathe. Remember to stay calm. Ground yourself in the facts. And 10, we need to prepare to head off the coup before the election. And we've got a week left to go on this. And there's been lots of people that have already put in a lot of work improving voting rights, getting turnout, uncovering, exposing fraud, getting people to, to commit to democracy. And to this end, you can opt into several groups that are organizing in case this worst case scenario happens to realize in the weeks and months ahead. ChooseDemocracy.us is one site where you can sign up to be connected to others that support democracy. There's another site called ProtectTheResults.com that also features hosted rallies where you can connect with others and pre-plan to march, demonstrate, get out in the streets and be heard. I signed up for the one scheduled for downtown Cincinnati, and I'm absolutely going to be out there again in the case that all votes aren't counted or the guy with the most votes didn't win or the guy who's defeated won't leave office. It's inconvenient. It's a pain in the ass. Look, I hate this shit. I haven't been politically active my whole life. This isn't something I've been doing since, you know, I was 16, you know, active, uh, active and organizing and donating and volunteering. This is stuff I've come to kind of recently because of where we are in the stream of time. I don't want to have to do this, but I'm also not going to stand by and watch America succumb to the kind of er fascism we discussed two podcasts ago. So I encourage everyone to check out ChooseDemocracy.us or ProtectTheResults.com. I've linked them both in the show notes. You know, look, look into them, do your own research, talk to your friends and family, be prepared and be organized. And you know what? If Trump wins a legitimate election, that's entirely possible. You know, his supporters love him. They're fired up. They're licking their chops about having these three new Supreme Court justices uh, looking forward to being able to put an end to Roe versus Wade. I mean, what do we do? What happens if Trump wins? What happens if he wins a fair and free election? Well, unless you're interested in just giving up, I hate to tell you this, but the answer is still going to be to organize, work locally in your community, talk to your friends and family, connect, get active. The same stuff you should be doing to prepare in case the worst happens is what you're going to have to do when the worst case scenario arrives. So what the hell? Might as well start on all that stuff now, huh? Okay. I said that I would consider at least one piece of feedback per episode from here on out, but also... This podcast is running long, uh, so I'm going to field a softball one this week. AC sent in the following question to three right turns at swizzbold.com asking, are you guys planning on putting your podcast on Spotify? I appreciate the question, AC, and I don't think we launched with our feeds on Spotify and we've probably gone longer than we should to get that up and going, but I know we've since rectified the omission. If you're on Spotify and would like to listen to us there or share us uh, on, on that platform, all you got to do is search for Swizzbold or Three Right Turns or One Weird Trick and we show right up. And I got to take this opportunity to give a shout out to my partner, Jim, who did all the work on getting those feeds set up and published to all the places they need to go. Honestly, I couldn't do this without him because I just get to drop the wave files off on a Google Drive and he makes sure all this other stuff works and lets me just keep focusing on coming up with these outlines for you. So that's going to do it for us once more here on Three Right Turns. If you have some more feedback for this or any other Three Right Turns topic or want to suggest topics or people for me to interview, please send that in to 3RT at swizzbold.com. You can also post about each new show on reddit.com slash r slash swizzbold. As a reminder, I'm going to be watching the election results live next week, starting when the polls close at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm not expecting to have a result, like I just said. I don't expect to go into the wee hours of the night either. I'm not going to be standing up till 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. 
But I do plan on spending several hours watching results, seeing how things are going, seeing how things are playing out. Maybe I'm going to play some video games to pass the time. Maybe I'll paint some of these miniatures I've got that I've been putting off forever. Maybe we're going to have some special guests to stop by and chat. Who knows? We're going to try to keep it loose. We're going to try to stay calm. Uh, If all that sounds like a good idea, go ahead and subscribe to YouTube dot com slash swizzbold and follow us on twitter at swizzbold so you can stay up on the latest and get the video link when it drops you know we had a lot of great turnout during the debates a lot of people watched that live so i expect it to be pretty crazy on election night so hell let's spin it together let's go ahead and get a head start in this organizing business if you appreciate what we do here on three right turns and the swizzbold network please consider giving us your support at patreon.com swizzbold support entitles you to custom reddit flare and access to patreon only member content like our monthly live streams which is going to be one coming up right after the election uh that could be really fun or it could be really sad uh <laughs> either way i don't think you're going to want to miss out on that Sign up now to gain access to this upcoming election stream and nearly a year's worth of other content at patreon.com slash swizzbold. At this point, I'd like to give out a special shout out to our Fred level supporters, Angela Morano, Arvin Rao, David Satterley, Jared Harrelman, James Taylor, Brandon DeVito, George P. Burdell, Brian Rasmussen, Jordan Hoyt, Jenny, Laura Luthi, Lisa Singleton, Kira Grushow, Mark Hahn and Greg Rasp. You know what? We couldn't do it without you. Thanks again for listening. If you're looking for something else to tide you over to election day, check out my other podcast on Swizzbold, One Weird Trick. You can find it by searching for One Weird Trick on your favorite podcast app or by going to swizzbold.com. Please get out there and vote. I'll see you next week on election night at youtube.com slash swizzbold. Until then, get some rest, stay calm, stop refreshing 538 every 30 seconds, have a plan, get organized, choose democracy, and I'll see you next time.